0: The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Everybody, the last day of August. It's Tuesday, the 31st. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. I am your host, Dan Bespris, and we have but one thing on the docket today with very little to no. I guess we could almost say no. NBA news. We are bucketing. This is the Dan Bucket Challenge. It continues. Episode 77 of the fantasy offseason. We're in count up mode now for real. It's starting tomorrow. It's September. And at that point, we're like a month and a half away from the start of the NBA season. I know that the the uh the regulars, you guys are here the whole off season, the diehards, but everybody starts to trickle back in. I was finally looking at at some of the numbers a little bit like around now actually. This is when it starts to creep up ever so slightly and hopefully it'll just kind of keep on with that trend. And that's fun. This is my favorite time of year, the the ramp-up to the start of the season. Because once the season begins, then it's a daily grind. You're box score checking, you're watching the games. There isn't a whole lot of time to do other stuff. This ramp-up where we're analyzing every player in the NBA, and we have the time to analyze every player in the NBA to get ready for our fantasy drafts, this is the best. This is just the best. So I hope you guys enjoy this as much as I do. Uh, To those uninitiated, the Dan Bespris Buckets, is my way of preparing for a fantasy draft. I, I group my players. I create a list of players based on where I think they're going to finish. I wait until the big sites tell me where people are actually getting drafted. And then I assign my guys into buckets based on where I think I can draft them, where I can maximize how many of the guys I want I can also put on one team. That's really the goal of all of this. And that should be the goal in all fantasy drafts. I think we all get... And it happens to me, too, on draft day or, like, right before the draft starts, where I'm like, you know, maybe I should rethink this guy. I did that with Victor Oladipo, I think, last year? I don't remember anymore. The last two years have been this weird, fuzzy blur. And I immediately regret it. I was like, this guy, this dude doesn't stay healthy at all. What am I doing? Totally went back on everything that I had said I, I actually believed in in fantasy. It happens to me. I did it with Kawhi Leonard like four years ago when the load management stuff was just getting started. That one actually didn't bite me in the butt because he was falling really far. Nobody wanted anything to do with the the pioneer of load management. And then he was so damn good on a per-game basis that it actually didn't matter. And that's continued. And he's actually generally underdrafted because uh, most people are head-to-head leagues where he's a much tougher sell than Games Cap Roto where you're really just looking at total production as opposed to, if head-to-head, it's got to be when. When is that total production happening? Can I count on this guy to actually play a full complement a minute, especially towards the end of the season? But that's not really the point of what we're talking about here. First of all, uh, welcome to the show, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at danbesbris. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. I complained about how I was just barely hovering above the 7,000 mark on yesterday's show and laughed a little bit, and like four of you actually followed me. So I don't know if you guys were... If it was four of you that listened to the pod, they were like, oh, you know what, I should help Dan make sure he stays above 7K. But whoever you are, thanks. If others among you are out there, please continue to find me on social media at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Hoopball, the website, hoop-ball.com. The Twitter handle is at Hoopball fantasy. Once again, shout out to my buddy Anthony Germain, host of Fantasy NFL Today. Strongly suggest you guys check that out with football right around the corner. We are in hard draft time right now with the season actually beginning in just nine days. Football season. You guys know I don't actually play that, but whatever. That's sort of neither here nor there. If I did, damn it, I'd be listening to Anthony every damn day myself also. So there you go. Uh, all of that long, uh, whatever, sort of aside, To I want to loop back around to the, the point I was trying to make and, and, again, just detailing why we treat the buckets the way we do. I think, nay, that's right, I said nay on a podcast, nay, I know that people overcomplicate fantasy sports. With the amount of information that floats around about every player... All the fantasy analysts, there's everybody is a damn fantasy analyst these days, which, I mean, you could say that about me like five years ago also, but everybody's a fantasy analyst. A lot of them are good, some of them are not. Some of them are fine, Uh, some of them are great. That's It runs the whole gamut, is basically the point there. All of that to say, not that many of the fantasy analysts out there treat fantasy the way I do. And this is not my way of saying that I'm somehow better than anyone else. It's my way of saying that you guys that found me, I hope that one of the reasons you stayed, and I hope one of the reasons that I can continue to sort of be your liaison to the fantasy NBA world is that my job, well, I have a few. My job with this podcast, jobs with this podcast, number one is we need to win. Whatever that takes, we're going to win together. Job number two is, is I want to teach you guys how to do it while we work our way sort of along the path. This is something that I wanted to do, uh, or I definitely did do, when I had a sports handicapping podcast. That wasn't about just giving out winners and trying to sell winners. That was about trying to show people, hey, this is how you figure out where the line is wrong in a bet. And we do that sometimes on this show, too. We talk a little bit of sports betting, and we ramped up a bit in the postseason when there was more time to do it. The third thing that I want to do with this podcast is is to simplify fantasy basketball for all of you guys. You you guys are used to hearing my four-year-old on the pod. Today you heard the one-year-old. Simplify. Simplify your fantasy basketball. I, I just... It's not that hard, which is such a dumb thing to say. When I'm trying to convince you guys that you need to listen to my show every day forever... But it's just not that hard if you take the steps to eliminate the complexities of it. That's not to say that we don't need to do the work. You got to watch the games. You got to handicap properly. You got to understand how basketball players' stat sets—that's a common fantasy term we use on this show—but it really it reflects. What someone does on the floor and how that translates into their actual fantasy value. We need to understand all of these things. This is very true. But some of the things we don't need to do are, number one, we don't need to be like trying to get, be the smartest person in the room. You don't. You might get more accolades for that on social media. If, you know, every year you can be like, hey, I was the first to so-and-so guy and, That's great, but guess what? We've done that on this pod, and we've done that a lot. Well, Brewski's done that a lot over at HoopBall uh, without having to take so many giant hacks and misses along the way. That's the problem with the big swings. If you're taking a home run cut every time up there, you're going to strike out a lot. Best thing to do is, at least for this metaphor... Be a pure line drive hitter. And every once in a while, one of those line drives is just going to catch a little backspin and sail out. That's what we do. And we do that with buckets. Because what those do is combine our own knowledge with the very important knowledge of what everyone else is saying and doing to then be able to draft the most best players. Seems like two words you shouldn't be able to put back to back, most and best. But in this particular case, that is what we're striving for. It's not about getting the biggest win on the board. We will almost never get the single biggest win on the board. That's unfortunately, yeah, it's not a spicy way of playing fantasy basketball, but it is the way that we operate here on Fantasy NBA Today. So I hope you guys have enjoyed that over the years. We don't get the biggest win. We also avoid all of the biggest losses... But what we do is consistently get small and medium winners. And when you add all those up, you win your league. I guess you... I mean, like, what is Chris Paul? Was Chris Paul a big win? Medium win? I don't know. We're not going to be the podcast that grabs the, the young guy that no one's heard of at 95 who turns out to be number 25. We know what? We're also not going to be that podcast that grabs all the buzz players at 35 that finish at 115. I will say one of my adages here before we dive into the actual player ranks again uh, in about 35 seconds. My favorite, one of my favorite adages is that taking a risk and taking a big swing in the first few rounds will never win you your league. It won't, but it could lose you, your league. Let's dive back in. We left off at, well, we have done 35 players. We've placed 35 players in buckets, although admittedly on yesterday's show, I moved Brandon Ingram down the board. So we will actually start with number 35 today, and that's CJ McCollum. McCollum was on his way to having a season even better than this last year. Uh, finished at number 30 on a per-game basis, despite a bunch of games in there where he was coming back from injury. But prior to his injury, and admittedly, let's remember, he probably wasn't going to keep this pace up for the entire season. But if you look at the first like 15 games of the year before he broke his foot, McCollum was number 8 20 shots a game. He was averaging 27 points, four boards, five assists, 1.3 steals, and five three-pointers per game. Yes, yes, more than Steph Curry. He was never going to keep up that pace. It just wasn't going to happen. But uh, a full-strength C.J. McCollum, who missed games this year for, for kind of the first time really ever. He'll he'll get banged up and miss one or two games here and there, but generally he's been a pretty reliable, healthy dude And we heard so many times that he was in the rumor mill. So far, it hasn't happened. And so I can't help but look at a guy like McCollum and say, okay, well, look, he's probably going to get drafted later than this. So we have to pick our bucket appropriately for CJ. But he's a guy that is going to likely plod along at a per game value close to or slightly above where he gets drafted He's probably going to play four games more than the league average fantasy player because the Blazers are going to need to sort of put the throttle down this year. This is the can-we-keep-dame-happy season, and he will exceed his ADP, which is probably going to be near 50, if I had to guess. We don't know for sure. Again, we're still waiting on that data, and when we get it, we'll go back and we'll move some bodies around on this thing. But for now, I'm going to put C.J. McCollum in bucket 10 because— I believe pretty strongly that he gets drafted later than some of these other guys we were talking about, like Zach Levine, who to me is, all, is not going to finish this season all that different than McCollum in overall ranking, but he's going to have to be a bucket in front because, again, you want to maximize how many of your favorite players you can get on your fantasy team. From a handicapping standpoint, there's really nothing to know about McCollum. He is who he is at this point. He, like Clay Thompson, has always been a guy who can pretty much just etch his numbers in stone and ride off into the sunset. Player number 36 on our board is John Collins, who I believe will be dramatically overlooked this season after having, by all accounts, a very quiet and bleh fantasy year. But he played 63 out of 72 games in a weird season. He started very slowly, and then after the slow start, just kind of cruised along at like right around the number 40 for the rest of the way. On the season, by totals, John Collins this year was number 34. So when you heard me say 36, you probably thought, good Lord, Dan, do you think he's going to be better than last year? And the answer is no. He's going to be exactly the damn same with the possibility that he's even more durable. I like Collins' durability. I think 63, 73, if you want to translate it to this season, I think that's a pretty achievable number for him. And that augurs very nicely for his fantasy outlook this year. Uh, 17.5 points, 7.5 rebounds, half a block, or sorry, half a steal, a block, 1.33s. Very good percentages from your power forward. There's a ton to like about John Collins. He's a good dude who just sort of quietly became slightly above average in almost every statistical category, minus assists. No one's coming for his job. Hawks brought him back. They gave him the money. So he's he's a hawk. And if you get rid of the slow start this year, then he maybe finishes even ahead of where we've got him on this board. But I think he goes relatively late in drafts as well. I don't know precisely where. And so I am. I admit, I am struggling a little bit with the sort of on-the-fly bucket adjustment stuff here. Like, I'm tempted to move McCollum back up a bucket because that's just sort of where I believe he should be ranked. Same deal with John Collins. He falls right into that same thing with McCollum. Guy was probably going to be around 40 on a per-game basis, probably overperformed durability, and makes for a really nice fourth-round pick that might even fall to you farther down the board. I think John Collins probably goes before C.J. McCollum. I don't know. Which is why maybe Collins stays in bucket nine and McCollum has to move into bucket ten. Regardless, we're going to put them in sort of this nine ten hybrid mode right now. Where again, once we get ADP data, we'll circle back around and probably adjust where those dudes end up. Stats wise, I don't think we see much of a difference season over season. I like they're you know again, much like McCollum, I think Collins is pretty rapidly here turning into a guy that you can just sort of say, all right, this is. This is the mold that he is. And the only question going into a year is how much is this guy going to play? That's it. So again, assuming he doesn't get off to a like top 60 start the first three or four weeks and just rolls at top 40 the whole way through, then terrific. He could be, again, even better than where he was this year. But even if that doesn't happen, that's not even really a problem for me. He just sort of is going to be in that neighborhood and, like, a lot of his fantasy value is going to be tied to how the rest of the league performs, because he's probably going to get you about 18 points and 7 rebounds, and that's pretty much what he did almost from the start of the season to the very end. It's just that his percentages actually got better as the year went on. What would be really amazing is if he somehow came through with, like, 0.2 extra blocks next year, but I I don't think that happens. I wouldn't hold my breath. All right, so Collins will just put in with the rest of these guys. Uh, Next dude on our board is, well, Brandon Ingram, because we moved him down the list. But the dude after Ingram is Kristaps Porzingis, who I could make a very real argument should be even higher than this on draft boards. Uh, Porzingis was number 20 over the last three months this year on a per-game basis. He does miss a crap ton of games. And so this is why I don't know that you can put him much higher than this, because in head-to-head leagues, he's undraftable. Even if he's number 20 on a per game basis this year, he's almost definitely not playing than more than like 50 No, sorry, 65 ball games out of 82. That to me feels like almost a best case scenario for Persingis. It's probably more like 60. Which, like we can we can do the math on that. It's pretty pretty simple. We just find someone from this year who missed about 20 ball games. That would be Paul George, by the way. Or Freddie Van Fleet who was number sixteen and missed exactly twenty ball games. Paul George is number twenty-four and missed eighteen ball games. Where did those guys end up on a totals basis? Van Fleet thirty-five, Paul George forty-five. Guess who falls right in between those two numbers on our board? Kristaps Porzingis, who's probably going to be right around number twenty and probably going to miss anywhere from eighteen to twenty-two ball games this year. My hope with again putting him at 38 is that he's more like Van Vliet than PG this year, meaning closer to uh, 16, 17 on a per game than 25 on a per game. Because again, every slot you move in that territory is still a pretty big jump. The Mavericks didn't exactly build anything new. They kind of rotated some pieces around, brought Tim Hardaway back, got some more shooting, but uh, Porzingis is still the man in the middle on that team. So I, I don't see why his gig should be all that different. You know? Like, just, uh, again, kind of looking at what uh, what his numbers have always been and, and likely will continue to be, 20 points, 9 boards, 1.5 blocks, that number could actually even be higher for him when he's really humming. So, yeah, I mean, this is a guy who could be inside the top 17, 18 on a per-game basis, but is undraftable in head-to-head leagues. So that's going to cause his ADP to fall because a lot of people play in head-to-head leagues. What are you going to do at that point? That's just going to go into the overall averages. He's a much better games cap roto play. If you can get him late in the third, I think you probably do it. I don't have the first bleeping like, clue out of you-know-where where Kristaps Persingas actually ends up. I would slot him behind some of these guys we were just talking about. To me, he's very much a bucket 10 when you compare some of these other guys that I've been calling kind of like a 9-10 hybrid because of the injury stuff that makes him almost impossible to roster in one very common type of fantasy league, that being head-to-head. And because he won't play more than 64, 65 games, there's just no way for him to get into that top 25 discussion that to me, a lot of the guys in our ninth bucket have cases to be in the top 25. Tobias Harris, if he has a healthy year, he could be a top 25 guy. Rashawn Holmes, if he's more healthy this year, he could get to that point. Chris Middleton's done it. Nurk looked like he was on the cusp of doing it. Although we may end up moving him down the board a little bit. McCollum could actually do it. If he stays healthy this year, Mikhail Bridges is in there. And, like, I don't think he is, he's going to get drafted anywhere near this stuff. We'll almost definitely be moving him down the board on the bucket list because of ADP information when it comes out. Persingas, I don't see a world where he's healthy enough to get to that level. Some of you guys are probably wondering when we're going to get to this one. Shea Gilgis-Alexander at number 39, which feels, I know, very low. And I'm not I don't regret it at all. He was number 55 this year on a per-game basis and played exactly half the damn NBA season. He saw his steals and blocks numbers suffer when his role became much more offensive-minded. He put up terrific offensive numbers, 24, 5, and 6, with two threes on plus percentages in both categories. But with the defensive stats slipping and, and tank going on, which, by the way, could very well happen again, for this Oklahoma City team. They're still not good. I don't see a real reason why they're going to push Shea uh, to the ends of the earth. He got his extension, didn't he? Wait, I just said that out loud, and then I forgot if he actually got paid. Did he get paid? He did, didn't he? Yeah, no. Yes, no. I've completely lost my mind. Maybe he didn't. No, he did. Okay, I'm not crazy. I had to look that up live. Thanks for bearing with me on that one. Yeah, he signed an extension. He's getting a crap ton of money for the next five years, $173 million contract. So the the fact that the Thunder have their guy locked up now ultra long term, the big question for them was, hey, can we really afford to doink another year if Shea's going to get pissed and go somewhere else? But they sold him on the rebuild. He's part of it now for a half decade. They, they can, should, and probably will tank again. Uh, even if Shade goes better on a per game basis this year than last season, which I believe he will, he's just going to get a little bit better every year. I don't see him playing more than about 65 ball games either. Some of those are going to come down the stretch, which makes him a very difficult player to own uh, or draft. Sorry, I really want to avoid that terminology in head to head leagues. He's a, an easier player to draft in games cap roto. And frankly, number 39 is probably still too high for him. Uh, I'm dropping him into bucket 11 right now, for whatever that's worth. You guys can come with me on that. We will probably adjust his position on our actual rank board, and we'll almost definitely adjust his position in the buckets. But I want to be clear, he is very much another tier down from Collins, McCollum, Porzingis, guys of that that we've been just talking about a minute ago. He's very much the next step down. And in fact, I would argue that we sort of cleared a threshold where Porzingis was almost like the buffer player. Hey, this is a really high per-game guy who makes a ton of sense in Roto, not going to stay healthy. Gilgis Alexander is a guy who's on the the brink of shutdown from the first day of the season, which again makes him not a very good head-to-head player. And his per-game upside is capped a bit by the fact that some of his stuff just suffered when he wasn't, when he was well, no longer playing next to Chris Paul, he couldn't focus on the big defensive stats. The the massive usage leap we were hoping for happened, but it didn't it didn't roll itself into the actual numbers as much as we wanted it to. Next name on the board on our list is number forty now. But again, I think we've we've done exact we've done one more. No, 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 we've actually caught up now because we jumped over Brandon Ingram. So this is number forty now, and that player is Jalen Brown. I went back and forth on Jalen Brown for ever. He was number 36 this year on a per game basis, but he missed a bunch of time, missed 14 games. So he's number 47 by totals. And that's, I mean, that that's important because this is also a guy as much as, you know, former Cal bears. I would love to say that he's been a pillar of health in his, his NBA career so far. He's seemingly, uh just a a a absolute stud of a human being but take all that away and he hasn't really been all that healthy the last couple of seasons Played 57 out of 72 games last year and 58 out of 72 games this year and it's just constant nagging stuff knees backs mostly knees really and that's rough to see from a guy who's only been in the nba for a half a decade you know dude was born in 96 not like he's an old man but he's got old man knees and that terrifies me It hasn't really crept into the the minute-per-minute type stuff. He's played 35 minutes a game this year. That's his biggest total in his NBA career so far. He had his highest usage of any season of his NBA career, which, I don't know, does that go up more with Boston losing Kemba Walker and mostly bringing in lower usage guys like Al Horford? And I know Dennis Schroeder's coming in there as well. I don't know. I don't know how he takes more than 19 shots per game. I feel like this last season from a per-game standpoint was about as good as it's going to get for Jalen Brown. Barring the notion that maybe his free throw percent, could that tick up from 74 to like, or sorry, 76 to maybe 78? If it just keeps getting little by little, slightly better? Yeah, it's a possibility. But I think this is kind of what Jalen Brown is likely to be. He started the year really hot, shot like 52, 53%, and then it leveled off as the season went on. He's a career 47%er. He finished the year at 48%. So I think however he gets to that point, that's probably about where he's going to be going forward. And me putting him at 40 is basically saying, look, he probably does about this on a per-game basis. And I bet he finishes pretty close to league average in games played this season. He's, a, I believe, a relatively safe player guy around that 40 threshold let's do a little bit more today we got we got a couple extra minutes I didn't have a whole lot of other uh, NBA news things to talk about next player on my list is LaMelo Ball and this is one I mean you guys know me I I struggle with the young guys but what we saw last year from Ball was really exciting and I I talked about on the podcast quite a lot he's one of those rare rookies that seemed like maybe even was going to be able to blow the hype out of the water he has Colossal fantasy deficiencies. I mean, there's to ignore that is to shoot yourself in the foot from a fantasy standpoint. But we also have to talk about the fact that some of those things are probably going to get better. Over his last 40 games this year, the ball was actually top 85, which I think surprises some folks, but it's largely because he was a medium volume free throw and field goal guy who was quite bad at both. Uh, turns the ball over a lot, which not all that surprising. And then the points, rebounds, and assists are very exciting. The steals are exciting, but they weren't enough to kind of overwhelm the other stuff. The assessment here is that he takes some kind of step forward in the decision making tree, part of being an NBA ball player, while retaining his terrific athleticism. Oh, I think I actually forgot to write Jalen Brown down on our uh, our bucket board, but he's going to go in there in bucket ten with Porzingis and uh, and Brandon Ingram right now, the the true bucket tenors. Um, Lamella Ball probably falls back in bucket eleven with Shea Gilgis Alexander and might even get demoted further. Uh, although I, I I think we can assume he's going to be one of the first guys drafted out of this group. He probably I bet he goes in the third round in some drafts. That wouldn't surprise me at all. But I want to keep, I kind of want to keep moving because look, as much as exciting as he was, he's going to get overdrafted. It's almost all you need to know on LaMille Ball. We almost don't need to worry about all this other stuff. He's going to get overdrafted. And so if you listen to this podcast and you actually follow the advice we give, you're probably not going to end up with him. Sorry. I know, not exciting, but hey. This is another one that might end up getting moved. I have Kyle Lowry at number 42, and a lot of that is because I see him playing a more, I' say refined basketball game in Miami. It's really just about him being on the floor more. This year, Kyle Lowry just wasn't engaged all that much. Seventeen and seven, only one steal in 35 minutes a game. He just wasn't locked in, and he's now going to go to a place. That's, that's very much making the concerted push that the Heat are making. Toronto kind of in this weird in-between spot. But we do have to ask ourselves, is Lowry actually getting worse? Has he crested to the point where it's, it's an actual decline and it wasn't just because he was playing for the Tampa Raptors this last year? Is his body, which always he's always been a little bit dinged up, generally towards the end of the year, is his body actually starting to be the problem, and not the ridiculous workload? Is it him, and not what he's asked to do? I think he's better this year than last year. Again, 54 on a per game basis, probably by about a round, which is why we have him at 42. The big question mark is: is this is a guy who's actually can make it through 70 out of 82 ball games? I'm hoping the answer to that is yes. I'll admit the answer's probably no, but maybe the change of scenery is going to do the trick for him, and he plays like 69, 71 games this year. He probably gets moved down my draft board a little bit. By buckets, he's almost definitely getting moved down, because he's not going to be a guy that people are clamoring for as he slides in next to Jimmy Butler and continues to get older. So we can put him in bucket 12 for now. You guys can worry about where I actually put him on my rank board later, but for the moment, let's just assume he's started he's kind of in the next one down the board. And honestly, we may move LaMelo down into that bucket as well. And let's end today's podcast with number 43 and that is Jonathan Isaac, who I don't have a clue where this dude is going to get drafted this year. And he is going to be a wreck if you're in head-to-head leagues, like He'll get his days off. The Magic are in full rebuild mode now, but they love what they've got in Isaac, and how could you not? His fantasy game is insanity. I get the feeling a lot of people have forgotten what he was doing before he got hurt last year. He was number 17. Tried to come back in the bubble, got hurt again. One of the only good things, one of the only sort of nice things about all of this is that because he got hurt in the bubble in was a late July, early August. he does have now a full 14 months to get himself recovered before a season begins. Before getting hurt, he was at 12.7 boards, a three ball, 1.6 steals, 2.3 blocks. He was at four combined steals and blocks per game. That was better than Anthony Davis. Yeah, I know. So this is the man when it comes to defensive stats with second round upside on a team that lost all of their usage guys. So he's going to come back, and he'll probably have more opportunity to do things on offense in addition to what he's already capable of doing on defense. Now, that said, the target for him is probably 67, 68 games this year. That's the the I'm-going-to-play-in-as-many-games-as-I-can-minus-the-ones-they-won't-let-me scenario. So it'll probably be some number of games worse than that. Still... If this is a guy who's going to get drafted, say, around 50, we can look back at the Christoph Porzingis model or the Freddie Van Vliet model or the Paul George model to say, look, if he only misses 20 games, he beats that mark. He's inside the top 50, probably missing 20 to 22 games. If he misses more games than that, yeah, you end up losing out. But every game he plays above that, that note, you are adding profit to your area under the curve. So I love Jonathan Isaac this year. I think he's going to be a guy who gets dramatically underdrafted. Where he goes, I do not know. But I actually have him more in my bucket 10 guys with almost a look at bucket 9. And the only reason I'm not shifting him up one slot is because of that insane durability issue that will rear its ugly head at some point this year. So I just can't say, look, if you're presented with like an option of Rashawn Holmes, Tobias Harris, or Jonathan Isaac, even though Isaac has the upside between those guys, you got to take the dudes that might actually get to 74, 75 games. You just have to if you're talking about like a third, fourth round pick. If he falls towards the end of the fourth round, 47, 48, early fifth, oh yeah. But those other guys probably won't be on the board anymore by that point. And let's stop at Jonathan Isaac, because the next guy on the board is Jonas Valanciunas, and I have a lot to say about him, but I want—I kind of want to save it for tomorrow's podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hope you guys have a lovely Tuesday. We'll keep on chugging. No reason to slow down now. This is Dan Bespris with Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. Happy to have you back if you're just rejoining us now after a basketball respite this offseason. We will talk to you again tomorrow.